Welcome to the podcast of the European Society of Anesthesiology and Intensive Care. I am your host, Alex Rawlings. This podcast is part of our month-long focus on patient safety and follows the World Patient Safety Day theme, Elevate the Voice of Patients. The WHO calls on all stakeholders to take necessary action to ensure that patients are involved in policy formulation, are represented in governance structures, are engaged in co-designing safety strategies, and are active partners in their own care. This can only be achieved by providing platforms and opportunities for diverse patients, families, and communities to raise their voice, concerns, expectations, and preferences to advance safety, patient-centeredness, trustworthiness, and equity. Our guest today is Jamie Thomas King, an experienced actor of film, television, and stage, and a devoted student of yoga and meditation for more than 20 years. After the preventable death of his second son, Benjamin, it was Jamie's deep respect for self-care, spiritual guidance, and human connection that propelled him into the world of patient safety advocacy, and to share his family's tragic story for the greater good of healthcare. Jamie regularly teaches on our Patient Safety and Quality Masterclass and will be there for the next edition in Madrid on the 9th to 11th of October. He was also a patient advocate at the joint ESAIC Multi-Society EU Summit on Patient Safety in 2020. And I'd like to share with you a section of a speech that Jamie gave at that summit. After losing my son, enduring two coroner's inquests and engaging in a relentless lawsuit, I've learned many things. But there's one thing that keeps standing out to me. Healthcare is above all else a human interaction. It is a matrix of many human interactions between doctors and patients, nurses and loved ones, administrators and policymakers. The list goes on. Benjamin's story is not simply meant to represent the patient perspective but it's meant to remind us that we are all patients. Everyone in this room, everyone that we love and care about will at one point be a patient. And so the question is, what kind of care do you want them to receive? What kind of care do you want us to receive? What kind of care do we all deserve? Those are the questions I feel we must keep asking ourselves. And I believe that if we keep asking them courageously and honestly, Eventually, we will discover that there is a better way, and we will have created it together. Thank you. Jamie, welcome to our podcast. Would you share a little of your story with us? Of course. Thanks, Alex. Um, Wow, it's kind of emotional uh, listening to that speech. And uh, I guess it was it was only um, about a month later that the pandemic happened. It's kind of extraordinary to remember and to hear in my voice where where I was at that time. Um, it's a long story, and I, I think the most important sort of place to start is obviously uh, at the beginning, which was uh, two expectant parents who were uh, expecting the birth of their second son. My wife, Tamara, and I um, had had a son uh, a year, just a year and a half before, and he had been born in an emergency uh, C-section. And uh, so, you know, we 
with the second with our second son, um, you know, we were pretty pretty uh, on top of, of of how we wanted to approach it and how um, how much trust we put in into the um, the healthcare system. Partly, I think, because they had they had saved our our first son. He, he, our first son was uh, it was in a, a home birth that kind of went. It didn't. It, it didn't progress, and we we ended up in an emergency situation. And um, so, as I said, going into the preparation for uh, birth for, for Benjamin, we really was trusting of the of the advice that we were getting, and the advice was that we should uh, follow a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. We had no problems in the pregnancy. We went forty two weeks. Um, and uh, and went in for a checkup, and the the obstetrician uh, said that there was no reason to not continue with the VBAC, and we went for another five days, uh, so forty two weeks and five days, um, and we went in because um, uh, to get a, a midwife um, her stretch and sweep to try to uh, uh, stimulate labour, and uh, she noticed a deceleration in the heart rate. And so we were rushed in in, a hosp- in in an ambulance to hospital, and um, and in the next over the next sort of three to five hours, the heart rate seemed to normalise. Um, but uh, a, and the, a decision was made um, to do a cesarean, um, and so we waited in f- in, uh, for about a three or four hours until there there was another spot available in the theatre. Um, and, but unfortunately, when when it was our spot um, uh, for this for the procedure, uh, an emergency C-section um, had come in and uh, taken our place. And they said um, that we should go home and come back the following morning, um, and we would be first on the list of the procedures the following morning. And we we protested. We we had been in an ambulance in the morning, and we we had a pretty scary day. And although Apparently, you know, some readings from the from the cardiogram were saying that his heart rate had normalized. Um, we were still anxious, and and we said that we thought we sh- we should be done that night. And uh, but they didn't agree, and they sent us home. And at four o'clock in the morning, um, we woke up, and there was a terrible pain. Tomorrow had a terrible pain, and we we rushed to hospital. And by the time um, they they were able to perform a procedure, um, he had suffered massive brain damage, um, and uh, and he was on a life support machine for five days, and um, he ultimately died from his injuries. Um, and you know, we knew that decision. We knew that 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 something had gone awry. We knew that. It didn't feel right that they sent us home. So we we really sort of assumed that there would be some protocols in place that would really take this on and, and look at this and 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 uh, and and learn. And I suppose in the in the in the acute stages, we we really just wanted to to regain our our relationship with with them, but. Um, we pretty soon there was an inquest um, because because Benjamin died in a hospital that was not the hospital that he suffered his injury at. It triggered a, 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 the coronial process in the UK, and so there was an inquest. And at the first inquest, uh, the midwives and the doctors who were responsible for the decision to send us home uh, started to have very different uh, 
memories about what what had happened. And then during cross-examination, it was revealed that uh, the the legal team representing the hospital had um, in fact changed statements from the medical providers to make them seem more aligned with the with the with the but. Uh, and so, so then they, the inquest was halted because that's obviously not allowed. Um, and then a police investigation was ordered and, and, uh, they, the hospital had to reveal, uh, the original, uh, statements and it, it did reveal that there had been some, some redactions and some changes that were pretty significant. Uh, we went back for the second inquest and any, you know, any sort of hope that ultimately uh, we would get transparency and uh, accountability for what had happened was really um, suddenly dashed because actually it, it sort of got even worse. They they closed ranks even further and and sort of um, um, and even though I mean I was repeatedly told that it was a it wasn't an adversarial process at that point. The coroner is just to find information, so we just had to hear the information that was obviously not only inaccurate but designed to to give a a a misrepre- uh, to misrepresent the truth um you know for their own so but at that point it really was clear that we it would be very difficult to find any reconciliation and so we sought legal advice and um we the only way that we felt at that point that we could um get what we really wanted which was now at this point now we just wanted to feel like this wasn't going to happen to somebody else and that we there were lots of other stories that were happening at this at, during that time that was sort of suggestive that, that there was a bigger issue in uh, maternity services in the uk uh we know that we know that is the case now um but there, there were always signs back then also and we felt very much we were part of, of a bigger of a bigger issue um, and so we decided to to pursue, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, um, to sue them. And and in the the bit, the first part of that lawsuit was that we hold you responsible for this, 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 and this reason for our son's death, and we need you to acknowledge that so that we know that those obstetricians have learnt and are, and are not going to do the same thing again. And they basically just said, we're not going to, we're not going to. Uh, um, connect with you over this over these over these issues but we understand that there is probably some fiscal um injuries that you've that you've suffered and we'd like to discuss that so it just there was no conversation about it was just how much do we owe you and then we just got into a very boring expensive and painful legal process which was trying to determine what the uh, financial damage was to us and um and it lasted five years and it cost everyone an awful lot of money and um, and got us further away from what we really wanted. Um, so concurrent to all of that, my wife tomorrow and I have done everything that we can to um, to not be driven um, to despair over the reality of, the, of, of what we would find. Um, and also to try to um use our story to to um remind people of what's of what's possible um as i said you know very early on you know we we had 
we had a great hope that we could work through this with the with the yeah. with the hospital, yeah. and it was it, the terms were defined by them, not by us. Um, and I do believe that that on the whole, um, that is really where people who have been harmed are coming from. You know, there was no support. There was no there was no counselling services. There was no grief support. There was. There was nothing on that on that level to support us. So we didn't really know that we were both suffering from PTSD. We didn't really know about any of these of these things. And it wasn't until sort of much later that that stuff was, you know, that that we really had to kind of take care of ourselves in that way. But um, but yeah, it's um, so. As I said, many different parts of the story, but ultimately um, they, they're all rooted in the same. You know the same the same hope, which was um, yeah. What would have helped you most? What would have helped you and Tamara most in your experience? Well, as I said, I think that there was no there was no uh, there was nothing triggered to support us in mm -hmm. in in the, the fact that our son was uh, was had died. Um, mm -hmm as a result of this. Um, and I think, you know, I think, I think that was quite, quite a shock, um, that we were just really left up to our own, you know, I think we were told that there was a, there was, there was a charity that we could reach out to and we sort of did. And there was like, you know, maybe counseling, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of. Uh, it, yeah, it was. It was a. There was a group support thing that was offered the second Tuesday of every month in the in the local church, and mm. I think we went. But it didn't really feel like it was. Uh, mean, you know, a meaningful offering of we we have been involved in the death of your son, and and, and here's you know you you might need to you know be aware that you might feel like this or you. you know, uh, I can imagine that that wall of protection that came up right from the beginning would have been. Yeah, it would have felt so cold. Um, yeah. And yeah. Looking back on this, if you could advise a healthcare institution on how they could have improved your experience of meeting this this horrific situation, right. what would you have shared with them? Well, it's tremendously difficult because obviously the issues that we face as individuals are, 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 are the same that we face institutionally very often. That something, something you know, bad, quote unquote, bad happens. Something, something adverse happens. Something that you didn't intend. Some negative harm happens. And the response is that we wish that didn't happen. <laughs> you know that I feel frustrated, or I feel ashamed, or I feel afraid of what is going to happen to me if I'm honest about this. Uh, yeah. The hospital thinks that way, but individuals also think that way. And and that is the sort of the initial dynamic that is this, the seed of the dynamic that is, is created. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's, um, I think this is where these things get quite, they're quite tricky because it is quite hard to, um, to control, uh, to create a, a you know, some uh, to create reality where that where that doesn't happen. 
Um, there will always be mistakes. There will always things that go right. So the question is, how are you set up to deal with it? And I think, you know, what we personally, when I say, you know, there wasn't any support for us, there, of course there wasn't. And there wasn't for the, any of the staff really who were involved in any meaningful way. I, I think probably what happened was that the first response to the team when they showed up and they saw the situation the way that it was, they quickly started thinking, oh, oh no, how do we, how do we get out of this? How do we protect ourselves out of this? How do we, I mean, obviously they're still caring for Benjamin mm. and they, you know, obviously they did, they did a great, I mean, obviously, but they did do a great job. You know, their, their error was in that, you know, afterwards they, and it's, and it's complex, you know, cause they, they saved my first son's life. Well, the same people, you know, in the same, in the same environment, the same, you know, so you think you're fully aware that this this isn't about intent. This is about no. this is about something that's beyond the realms of your control. Mm. So the question is, what do you do with the things that are out of your control? Mm. Do you ignore them? Do you do you push them down? Do you uh, do you delude yourself that they're not there? You know, all these all these things are ultimately what any institution and any individual has to reconcile for themselves. Um, and for me, a lot of this does come down to, you know, you, you, in your, in your, uh, introduction, um, you mentioned my studies of, of yoga and meditation and, and, you know, I can say that as an individual, probably the thing that has, has helped me the most in, in recovering from my trauma, uh, of what I've been through, um, specifically in the five, in the five days that, that, you know, that we were in, enduring um, the, the, that that acute um, injury, um, but but in the sort of in the in the aftermath of that effect, uh, the ability to to sit and be present and allow uh, allow the experience to reveal itself, as opposed to. Um, already pre-deciding that I, I can't handle the intensity of the experience has allowed for the resilience and the growth to happen spontaneously. I don't, I feel like it's, you know, um, no one goes into healthcare to do a bad job. No one goes in to not, to, to not listen to their patients. No one goes in it's it's the unconscious um, parts of of, of 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 not quite listening. I mean, I I, I forget who it is, but there, there's some great quote from a doctor that says, you know, listen to your patients; they will tell you their their diagnosis. And I think, you know, it's a it's not through a lack of uh, uh, goodwill that that it's it's very difficult to listen to someone. And and fully want them to with your with the the perspective that you just want them to share everything that's going on for them, and that's the only way that you can create a, a safe space for someone to really to really grow and to and to really find themselves within that new dynamic of a relationship and rediscover um, connection when there has been trauma. It's it's really a lot to do with safety, authenticity. Um, creating that safe container where those those natural human impulses can can just exist because th because they they are spontaneous. They're not something that 
is not something you can force a connection. You have to allow it to be there, and then you you realize that it's actually there all the time. You know, but it's hard. You know, it's very hard if you're if you're over if you're tired or if you've been working crazy shifts. You've got twelve other patients. You know, yeah. it's very hard to sit and really be present. But I do think that's where a lot of this stuff will uh, really starts to. Um, show the, the the benefits um because it's you know people have talked a lot about aviation and nuclear for me you know the the biggest takeaway for me in aviation is just that this notion that there is no hierarchy so if a if a, if um a an 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 air attendant or you know the the flight attendant sees something that is amiss. There's no fear to to say to the captain, "Hey, captain, I see see that." That not anymore. No, not anymore. Yeah, but least. there used to be a tremendous yeah. amount, and they yeah. learned that that lack of empowerment of the whole team just meant that you, yeah. you know, there were things there were where people were seeing things and not saying up, speaking up. And I and I honestly think that that this system doesn't work. Like I discovered something that and most people in healthcare know which is it's not safe and it doesn't work and the only way to really make it through is to really be an active participant in in what's going on mm-hmm. you have to you have to you know as a patient or as a as a family member of a, of a patient you have to really be involved with what's going on because there's so many gaps in in a system that 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 people can fall through so it's the human, it's the eco, it's the connectivity of the human ecosystem that will maintain some level of safety for that patient. It's how well they're passed through from all of these different, diff, you know, different uh, departments and different people doing shifts and coming in. It's how well they 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 pass this precious, um, this precious uh, uh, this thing uh, to each other and and. You know, I I, I, I I honestly think that, that that does just kind of point back to a, a real a real uh, humanity type question, which is um, what kind of world do you, do we live in? Like, how do we treat each other? How well do we? How much do we value how we treat each other? How is the person who is a bit of a bully and isn't really listened to? How is that person really? dealt with how, how i mean power structures you know a lot of the time things the the front line the people offering the work on the front line is very disconnected from the decisions that are really being made um you know for the running of things and that that that's not great <laughs> yeah i mean the, the the complexity of healthcare is is, is enormous isn't it and even right. those of us that, that are involved in patient safety are fully aware of no simple one simple solution presents itself that is applicable across the board. Yeah. But yeah. one thing I, I, I do love um, is is the discussion of mindfulness and how much that that uh, has a part to play in a lot of different areas of, of patient safety. Um, whether it's the mindfulness of, of what it is that you're doing, of how you're playing a part of a team, of how you're communicating to each other, of of how your behaviour impacts on those around you. Uh, and how others are impacting on you. Um, 
And and the complexity of systems and and your awareness of of the loops in that 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 tend to mean that errors get fed down the chain, and you know you may experience an error that you've not even been aware of occurring. Uh, and then we you know we look at the second victim issue and and dealing with trauma and and the impact of of, of adverse events on a personal level for the staff uh, as well. Um, and I, and I think that the, the for me the essence of this conversation of, of giving patients a voice is is as you said bringing them back into healthcare bringing them back into being part of the whole experience and recognizing the humanity between both the doctors and the patients and the the healthcare staff and in your experience what I heard was that there was a a point where humanity ended and it became litigation it became uh you know legal protection on the behalf of the hospital and their communication to you was no longer of a human beneficial type but type that's beneficial for humans would you would you agree with that would you say that absolutely alex yeah absolutely um yeah i mean i think i think as i said in the beginning you know i i learned i learned um that healthcare wasn't safe but i because i had always assumed that it was i think I think most people are using things to sort of assume, like we do with everything. You have to assume that it's going to work. You wouldn't be using it otherwise. I think know? the problem is that it does. It does work a lot of the time. Sure. But when sure. it does goes wrong, it, it's 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 almost a surprise. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's the the horror, isn't it? It's, it's um, yeah. So how how do we maintain trust and equity between healthcare professionals and patients? How how do we what needs to change in order for that to be maintained or brought back or, or re-established as a connection, a human connection, that trust and that equity? I think it has to maintain uh, uh, importance in 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 the conversation. I think to so the you know, yeah. Well, just the patient safety, you know, has changed even even seven years since Benjamin died. It's changed so much, you know. Mm. I mean, technology and all, our world is changing at an extraordinary rate. I think everyone can agree. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, everyone will have a slightly different perspective about how the problems can be tackled. And, and, and that's, that's wonderful. That's, that's how it should be because the, because it's, but the most important thing is that it's, it's, it's prioritized, um, mm -hmm. and it's made important. So I think for a very long time, there was just this assumption that, you know, 10% people using healthcare are harmed by it. And there's not really much we can do about that because human beings make mistakes. And I mean, the difficulty always obviously is that the system doesn't really account for human beings making mistakes. It expects human beings to be perfect all the time. And, and that's what has to consistently change and consistently evolve. And it's not about, it's not about saying that we have to have the answer and we have to have this solved by X and X and dates because it's just not realistic and it's also it's it doesn't it doesn't encompass the this fact that we have changing problems right? we don't i mean you know i'm sure a lot of people would say the the pandemic could have been planned for better uh, but but you know we're, we're very often we're on the back foot about things as human beings it's just that just the way that we are it's just that people you know, people don't prioritize um, um, the things that that they know uh, are ultimately, you know, 
it's hard. It's the thing is, it's hard to when you're in the middle of doing stuff and busy and an output. It's hard to say oh, I'm going to go and take 20 minutes to meditate because a lot of the time you just you're just busy. You're in the doing of it, you know. But it's the ability to say, but if I tap out here, I'm going to suddenly I'm going to tap into a wealth of of, uh, of of potential. That's that's by being in this one frame of of of, of uh, you know of operation. Um, if you have the confidence just to let it go for 20 minutes, very often you have a renewed sense of vigor a renewed sense of energy. And you, you know, Einstein says you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created it. I, I always sort of, I think time and time again, anyone who's working in healthcare has to find a way to fill up their cup so that they, they come back to their work filled with the, the, the courage to be vulnerable, the, the, the um the 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 strength of heart to see extraordinary suffering and pain and watch people losing their family members yeah. and not shut off from that but to be able to to be able to encompass the the, the full spectrum of that experience and and to allow to be to to share what what that is uh yeah. with other part with other people that they work with with other you know i i I mean, we we are. I think we are talking a lot about um, the the sort of the redesigning um, of of these conventional ways of thinking about it. I mean, I, I we cannot. What is the also? What is the expectation of healthcare at this point? It's just that there's no preventable harm. That is a that is that's an infinite thing that's not something that's a finite problem that we can fix that's something that you know is and because it's so so unbelievably complex because patient safety is an issue here in in uh in toronto uh compared to uganda they ha they, they they both have issues with safety but they're completely different issues mm. i mean they're stemmed in the same the same challenge of of, of human ingenuity to provide an extraordinary thing that we that, that we have. We have this this amazing. I mean, the fact that you know you you don't I don't know you don't die of a toothache very often these days. And all this it's extraordinary what we've what we've come up with. But we're still human beings. You know, we're still we're still utilizing this immense capacity with the hearts and minds of human beings and. As as we all know, like there's a full spectrum of of how you can be given on given the mood you're in, given how tired you are, given how hungry you are, given how how supported you feel by your bosses, how all of those kinds of things. And I think we just we really need to keep this as an important part of 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 the of the, of the collective conversation, and not just for you know patients, but as I say in the speech, because we're all patients, we're all. We're all we're all vulnerable. We all need healthcare. Um, yeah, I mean that that the the, the word vulnerable. I, I I find that a very powerful concept to look at. Mm. Um, in blame culture, there's this mm. idea that you should be perfect, mm. um, that you should never make error. Um, whereas we know from from human factors research that that humans do make error, and therefore you need certain training and the 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 collective mindset of a team to to protect each other from from making error and, and to support each other 
Um, there's a great quote, if I can just read out. There's a yeah, yeah, interesting quote. Um, Gabo Marte, amazing doctor. Um, I'm sure our listeners are well aware um, of, of the extraordinary work he's done and speaks a lot about um, uh, uh, the, the the doctor um, and the, the the challenge that they have with the trauma that they experience. And um, anyway, the the the, the uh, quote goes: um, "The myth of normal is a cloak that disguises the immense diversity and complexity of the human experience, obscuring the truth that we are all vulnerable and flawed, yet capable of extraordinary resilience and growth." And I think. You know, as we were talking about this, this there is this individual, but there is also this systemic, and there's a sort of interplay um, and authenticity and vulnerability. There, there, they are different sides of the same coin. Um, no, they 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 go hand in hand. You can't have a connection and authenticity unless you have some some preparedness for each individual yeah. to be vulnerable. Yeah, um, and including and, including the expert. Exactly. The, the experts exactly. allowing themselves to say, you know, exactly. I hold this position of being the expert in yeah. this patient-doctor relationship. Yeah. I, I, that's a role that you take very seriously and you have many, yeah. many years of experience. Yeah. And, and, and many cultures have a trust the doctor, don't ask questions, don't be rude. Oh, it's, it's, just, you, it's, it's just receive yeah. this, that they're in control, do whatever the doctor says. That That is a very... I mean, we talked about the, the, uh, the, yeah. the active um, participation of, of, of patients. That's something that actually is quite hard to to generate a lot of the time because it's culturally or, you know, um, it, it is encouraged. Um, and and I, th I think for the for the expert to allow a portion of vulnerability to come in, to allow them to be an authentic human being in these interactions does not take anything away from their knowledge and experience and yeah. wisdom. Yeah. But it does allow the patient to actually come forward and also be authentic in the same situation and be vulnerable and be honest. And um, there's a beautiful quote through from Brené Brown, says that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. But it is also the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. And, and, mm. and, and yet there is such a shame surrounding being vulnerable. Mm. It's, it's still considered such a weakness. Well, yeah. yeah, and I think I mean I think this is sorry to cut you off, but I think we see this we see this in a lot of different areas. I mean, pol politics is very you can't be vulnerable in politics because someone will go for you. It's, and I think it's the same. It's it's often viewed in the same in the same sort of way as a as a as a high level healthcare provider is that vulnerability is dangerous and um, can leave you, you know, can leave you open in ways that that. Um, that the system doesn't protect you, and you can understand. I mean, you can really understand why, given a lot of lot of experiences that doctors do have when they're honest about things, mm. you can understand why that fear exists. You know, um, yep. and so I think it's that for me one of the one of the the pressure valves of my own despair is understanding that it's not fair and it's not right for everybody. You know, it's not isn't it isn't it's not personal to me. It isn't a it's it's something that obviously um, we suffered an extraordinary personal loss, but um, but in some senses, you know, it's um, it it, and I say this with a I say this <laughs> with a deep sigh, um, but losing Benjamin in that way and having to um, 
be conscious and maintaining my own um my own well-being um has probably made me grow in ways that I could never have I could never have dreamed of I could never have dreamed of having this conversation and speaking at the EU parliament and 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 feeling that my contribution to life is now um at a at, at, at a much deeper level you know and it's not to say there isn't great sadness and there isn't there isn't there aren't days where which feel would still feel like it was an unnecessary price to pay um i do feel that what i've learned is it is is to a certain extent that we're actually that is the stuff of life and 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 in healthcare i mean it's it's a very intense life and death and it's happening all the time all around you now that's not new you know this is this is this is what the human experience is but we do have now i think in the modern world we do have ironically we do have more of a of an expectation that it 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 should conform more to to uh to to, to more of a a comfortable or 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 predictable or you know and um but i just you know i, I as I, as we as we said earlier i think life is changing at such an extraordinary rate we we really need to find ways that we can collectively show up um with the ans- with the answers unsolved um and still find a way to respect each other and and to see our experiences and um you know, I mean, um, listening, listening is, is the key to it all. I really do. I mean, I really do think that, you know, every conflict really starts somewhere and it usually starts when people stop listening to each other. Yeah. And what does it mean to listen? I mean, it's, it's not to cherry pick the things and then just respond to those things. Listening is really, is a, is an active, um, there's a wonderful teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he talks about um, listening being the being fullest when your intention is to allow the person you're listening to to share their experience with no agenda, with no, you know, and and I think if if we if we all do that for each other, then then things start working. They they start working organically, but it's you know it's a hard thing. Well, Jamie, I, you know, I've, I've witnessed your um, your sections on the patient safety and quality masterclass, and I know that they are a huge step towards bringing back uh, some beautiful personal qualities um, that you you wish to share from your experience and from your wisdom, um, and allow the doctors that attend the masterclass and the nurses and other healthcare professionals the opportunity to have a space to experience. They're only listening to themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and how to actively listen to another, and how to communicate with with uh, authenticity and accountability and vulnerability. And the, these are these are issues that are not taught mm-hmm. to people, and they don't come naturally. Mm-hmm. They're not part of our culture. So I hope that if anyone is, is listening, that they are interested in learning more about this, that they will book a place on this masterclass. I can highly recommend it. And Jamie, I want to thank you very much for, for your time today. It's been a, a really valuable conversation. I know we could talk for much, much longer about it, but um, yeah. Thank you, Alex. No, it's, it's, it's a huge um, 
it's a huge way that I've, I've reconciled my grief and trauma has been doing this work. And uh, so, you know, um, thank you for, for giving me that space to, to share my experience. And, uh, and um, I look forward to the, to the next time. Great. Well, if, uh, if anyone is interested, you can find out more details about our masterclass on our website. And um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Um, the SI releases monthly podcasts on the SI website and various streaming platforms. And we hope that you will join us for the next one. <laughs>